great joy to be at Holy Trinity Church on this Trinity Sunday. Thank you very much to Patrick for inviting me and lovely to have the choir singing so beautifully on my left-hand side. I'm really, my left ear is very much enjoying uh, our, our worship today. Let's, uh, let's pray as we prepare to look at these scriptures together. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we bless you for your presence with us in this service. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through this wonderful book of Acts once again. Help us to hear all that you would say to us. For Jesus' sake, amen. George Clooney won it. John Gielgud won it. Christopher Plummer won it when he was 82. Michael Caine won it twice. And the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in 2023 went to Kei Hu Kwan for his role as a somewhat hapless husband in the film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It's not an easy vocation to be the best supporting actor, I guess, especially for those who are ambitious to play the leading role. And yet there's something about this calling that is vital if the whole cast is going to shine. Like the second violin in a gifted string quartet, like the deputy head in a high-achieving school, like the associate vicar or the wardens in a well-run church, a great supporting actor is worth their weight in gold. And if St. Paul definitely deserves the Oscar for best actor in the second half of the Book of Acts, it is Barnabas who in my mind is the front-runner for best supporting actor. Barnabas, the clue is in the name, because the word Barnabas started as a nickname for a Jewish Cypriot believer called Joseph, who first appears in the Bible, you may remember, in Acts chapter 4. On that occasion, he famously sold a field and gave all the proceeds to the apostles to be distributed among the poor. In contrast to the miserable Ananias and Sapphira in the following chapter, who pretended to do the same, but pocketed half the proceeds and came to a sticky end. We had one teacher, my secondary school, who had adopted his nickname, Podge, and was never known as anything else. I have no idea, even my parents, who were also teachers at the school, had no idea what his real name was. And the same became true of Barnabas. Joseph was forgotten about. Barnabas became his name. Yet while Podge might be seen as a little double-edged, affectionate, yes, but maybe encouraging its owner to uh, go easy on the cheese and the chocolate, uh, the name Barnabas was entirely positive. Because the bar name Barnabas, as you may remember, comes from the Greek and it means encourager or literally son of encouragement. Actually, it comes from the Hebrew, encourager or son of encouragement. In the Greek, huos paraklesios. Huos paraklesios. And here in Acts chapter 11, we see this best supporting actor, this encourager at his very best. There had been a very nasty outbreak of persecution in Jerusalem following the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. An unnamed bunch of missionaries had made their way up to Antioch, where they'd had extraordinary success with, we're told, great numbers of people believing 
and turning to the Lord. For the first time, it had begun to dawn on people that this new Jesus movement was not just another Jewish sect, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jesus lot, and the Zealots. And perhaps it's for that reason that it was in Antioch, we're told, that a new nickname began to be used of these people. They were called Christ people, or Christians. And of course, it's a nickname that has stuck ever since. Why in Antioch? Well, partly because these unnamed missionaries preached, yes, among the Jews, but especially among the Greeks, the Gentiles, and began to see some extraordinary fruit from their labors. This is a natural segue from the first part of Acts chapter 11, where we read about Peter's encounter with the Gentile Cornelius, one of the early encounters of a Gentile coming to faith in the risen Lord Jesus. And now huge numbers were coming to faith in Antioch. And it's also because the teaching of these unnamed missionaries was different from anything that had been heard before in the Jewish synagogues. Yes, of course, it had its foundations in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, but it was also very different. It's not that they had fully worked out a theology of God, the Holy Trinity, at this point. That was to be a later development in the life of the early church. But even in today's passage from Acts 11, we read very naturally Luke speaking about the grace of God, about the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, and about the fullness of the Holy Spirit in a way that would lead in future months and years to deeper theological reflections on God, the Holy Trinity. And meanwhile, as the Jewish members of the church in Antioch began to be heavily outnumbered by their Gentile brothers and sisters, it seemed obvious that the new wine of this messianic movement could no longer be contained within the old Jewish wineskins. These were now Christ people, Christians, someone said, and somehow the nickname stuck. Back in Jerusalem, the mother church, there was excitement when people heard about Antioch, but also quite a lot of anxiety. Was the church in Antioch becoming too radical, even a little wacky, they wondered? Was it kosher? asked the former Pharisees within the church. And so Barnabas was sent as a kind of one-man Ofsted to check the place out. And when he came, we read, and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord." Was this Barnabas's finest hour, I wonder? Well, possibly. But what Barnabas did next was probably the very best contribution that anyone could make to the flourishing of the early church. Recognizing that there were gaps in the leadership team in Antioch, he set off for Tarsus, where we're told he met with Saul and brought him to Antioch. No one other than Barnabas had really known what on earth to do with Saul up to this point. Here was a man who had brutally persecuted the early church and was primarily responsible for Stephen's death. Here was a man who had been stopped in his tracks by the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and had then gone to ground with rumors of a preaching tour in Arabia. 
Here was a man whom Barnabas had introduced to Peter and a few others in the Jerusalem church, but who had there received a really mixed reception. Some had found it hard to forgive his former behavior as the killer of Stephen. Others had been suspicious as to his motives. Was he a double agent? And whether his so-called road to Damascus experience was for real. So it's Barnabas who is responsible for Saul's rehabilitation. And Barnabas too, who later became one of Saul's most trusted traveling companions, as Saul himself began to adopt his affectionate nickname, not Podge, but Paul, which means tiny or titch. And as we continue through the book of Acts, as you'll be doing over the next few months, these two Christ people, the son of encouragement and Titch from Tarsus, would set up churches together across the eastern Mediterranean before making their way to Jerusalem. And over time, with some serious ups and downs in their relationship along the way, a subtle shift would take place with Barnabas and Paul becoming, in Luke's account, Paul and Barnabas as the son of encouragement embraced his calling as best supporting actor, enabling Titch and indeed the whole Christian cast to shine. Now today, as we've heard, is Trinity Sunday. And as we've seen from the natural references to God, to Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Spirit in today's reading, our doctrine of the Holy Trinity emerged first and foremost from those early Christians experience, their encounter with what Paul would later describe as the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's not that anyone set out to construct some kind of mathematical conundrum for us to get our heads round, one in three and three in one, like Fermat's last theorem. It's rather that these Christians came to believe that Jesus is God and that the Holy Spirit is God, and that God the Father is God, in what the Greeks would call a paradox, and the Hebrews would call a mystery. Whether or not a humble earthworm, say, can understand the paradox or mystery of how we human beings relate to one another, and the complexities of that, is rather doubtful. Whether or not a humble human being can understand the paradox or mystery of relationships within the Holy Trinity is a whole lot more doubtful still. But what we can do is experience God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as those first believers, and indeed as Christian believers throughout the ages, have done. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all are present in today's reading. But following the Feast of Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday, it is the Holy Spirit here who comes to the fore. It's not simply that Barnabas is described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. What a lovely tribute. Wouldn't you like that to be on your gravestone? A good man, a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A lovely tribute. But it's not just that. It's also because Barnabas' nickname, Son of Encouragement, if you remember in the Greek, Huios Paraklesios, picks up on some words that Jesus himself spoke to his disciples as they prepared for his departure. I will not leave you as orphans, 
He said in John chapter 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another encourager. It's the same Greek word, paraklesos, sometimes translated paraclete, to help you and be with you forever. So what does the word paraclete really mean? Actually, scholars are a little bit uh, concerned about that question. They find it quite hard to answer. Literally means someone who is called alongside us, to be alongside us, not above us, not in front of us, not behind us, not beneath us, but alongside us. And so when you read John 14 in various Bible translations, you'll find the word paraklesos translated as helper, as advocate, as comforter, as encourager, and as friend. And of course, all of those, what they have in common is someone who is standing alongside us. And if that is true of the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised in that reading from John chapter 14, that he would be a paraklesos, one standing alongside us, so we should be expected to be true of those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, those like Barnabas who are sons of the paraclete and who demonstrate that sonship through encouraging people to remain true to God with all their hearts and through rehabilitating those who, for whatever reason, have somehow gone to ground. Paraclesis involves generosity, the generous investment of our time and money, attention, energy, for the glory of God and the blessing of others. Paraclesis involves humility, the willingness to spend time to listen to people, to take the back seat, not to get too fussed about whether it's Barnabas and Paul or Paul and Barnabas. Paraclesis involves a genuine appreciation of others, a desire to see the best in people, an advocacy on their behalf, a rejoicing with those who rejoice and a weeping with those who weep. Paraclesis involves enabling those whom we meet, especially those who have somehow had the stuffing knocked out of them by by life along the way, to stand that little bit taller because we are standing beside them. And not us alone. Because if we, like Barnabas, are good people, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, we will always be pointing beyond ourselves. When people meet with us, they will feel, yes, in a limited, but genuinely, in a real way, that they have met with Jesus. Back to our reading. And having travelled from Jerusalem and seen the grace of God at work in Antioch, having travelled then to Tarsus and brought Saul out of isolation, having returned with Saul to, uh, to back to Antioch, where the two of them taught the church, had an extraordinary ministry of healing and, uh, and teaching and evangelism over the next 12 months, having done that, gone up, gone back, gone back from Tarsus to Antioch, they were now called in a prophetic word, to go back to Jerusalem and back to Judea. They uh, have been told by this prophetic word that there was about to be a famine breaking out in that part, and Barnabas and Saul went back from uh, Antioch to bring a gift from the, Jewish, from the, uh, the, the Gentile church uh, up in Antioch to, uh, to the church, the Jewish church, largely Jewish church in Jerusalem. That's a kind of reminder of what happens with paraclesis, that it's contagious. 
get a real encourager in a church and it starts to catch on. And you start to find that the church in Jerusalem, which has sent Barnabas on this one-man Ofsted mission to Antioch, actually then has Barnabas and Saul coming back from Antioch, bringing a gift with them when it's the Jerusalem church that is in need. And what about us here in Holy Trinity on this Trinity Sunday? What of us as together we worship today and we wonder at the grace of God as we rejoice in the good news of Jesus and as we open ourselves to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us? I have no idea who most deserves the accolades of best supporting actor or best supporting actress at Holy Trinity Claygate. I suspect there would be a very large competition involving a very large number of, of, of people. But I do know that this is a great team effort and that many of you are committed to living as sons and daughters of the paraclete. Don't grow slack in that. Never stop learning. Always be open to new opportunities, new challenges, new ways of doing things. And above all, pray that Jesus might take your little efforts and mine and use them to enable others, men, women, young people, and children, to stand tall as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, princes and princesses in the kingdom of God.